about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. Where has that been all season? The Fighting Irish decided to finally start playing to their potential, uh, destroying Navy. Um, so bad, I can't even remember the score off the top of my head. What was it 52-17 or something like that? 20. 52-20. 52-20. Um, the Navy midshipmen, a ranked Navy midshipmen, a team we were expecting to put up a fight, usually give Notre Dame hell, it just didn't show up. Um, Notre Dame beat them mercilessly, mercilessly all game. Um, it seemed to have been um, right from the get-go. Um, the usual Navy, um, very few possessions, grinded out kind of game wasn't that at all. So we are all in a good mood. This is the Four Horsemen podcast. I'm joined by our favorite, Steve. And uh, we're going to get into uh, to it right now. Steve, what would you think of the game? Well, I am no one's favorite, not even my fiance. <clears throat> um, fun game to watch. And it's uh, really something to see a Notre Dame quarterback pushing that ball downfield and, you know, connecting on it with guys 20, 30, 40 yards downfield again. It's been quite some time since we've had that. Um, Deshaun Kaiser, I think, is the last that guy that was able to do that. Because Zaire and uh, Wimbush, obviously, were a little bit different in style. And Ian has mostly played, you know, just short, you know, dink and dunk, you know, be accurate, let your guys get some yak yards, and just to be a little bit more uh, systematic in the approach. So it's good to see him stretch the field. And boy, oh boy, did it lead to a lot of success. You know, the game was over, obviously, halfway through the second <laughs> second quarter. So... Um, I, I, I think we had some guys banged up, but no major injuries. Is that correct? I'm not too sure. I knew there were, um, I think a few offensive linemen who might've went down, but I'm not, I'm not sure if there's any long-term injury there. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of the usual you expect from Navy. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, after after like the fourth touchdown, when we went up 28 nothing, I was like, all right, let's just not get hurt for the rest of the game. Well, honestly, once it was 35 nothing, I said put in the backups. You know, like don't even don't even get to halftime at that point. Just <laughs> there's nothing to gain from it. So, um, I was actually surprised that they came out with the the first team uh, to start the second half. But hey, I think it led to an extra Claypool touchdown, which I'm sure we'll get to. But uh, what what were your thoughts? I mean, what a game that was thrilling to watch really i mean the notre dame defense was all over the ball um we played so so well there and then offensively stretching the ball down the field i've been screaming for it all year get the ball down the field not just throw it throw it down the field and what you saw was just notre dame athletes bullying navy athletes it was was kind of as simple as that it was felt like every time book was throwing the ball it was going to be a a touchdown it i wish book was could play like this against uh, good defenses. That's something we we had tweeted out because Navy obviously 
Um, a very average defense, nothing special there at all. So I was pretty happy with it. It was an entertaining game. It was a game that was over by half. Um, like yourself, I thought they should have put in this, the backups just cut to start the third quarter. Um, it What it did is it, it took away throwing opportunities for Phil Dracovic, really, because by the time he's in the game, um, you, you pretty much just get running plays to kill the clock. You know, there was no real uh, passing opportunities, and and that was it. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of it for me. Um, yeah, do you have anything of, of note from that game? Yeah, uh, it did stink not to see Phil come in at the half. I, I mean, he had two, uh, he was two for two passing. He, When you're blowing a team out like that, that is a perfect opportunity to get your back up at least 10 passes in a game. So, Brian is being a little stubborn and he's trying to pre- he's trying to clip the wings of my baby boy. But you just got to learn to let them fly, Brian. Let my boy fly. So, it's a little frustrating on that end, but uh, the defensive side of the ball, holy shit. Uh, I've never seen us play that dominant. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I've never seen us play that dominant against Navy. Uh, you know, we ended up giving up 20 points on the day, but I mean, this game was fully in the bag, and I think only three of those came against our first team defense. So, nothing really to worry about there. Um, total and complete domination. Uh, that's pretty much all the thoughts that I had. I mean, you know, we're going to get more statistical in, in just a couple of uh, seconds here. Actually, you know what? Um, I I did have a question I wanted to get to, but first, if if you wanted to dive in st- into statistics, because that's kind of your area of expertise. Yeah, it's, uh, well, I mean, it's just kind of box scores, nothing too particular. I wish I was one of those guys who could... Um, code and and come up with my own statistics but uh just doing a quick survey of the of the game i mean Notre Dame was up 38 to 3 at half i think that's pretty important to mention because the final score was actually closer than it, it appeared um but overall 6.1 yards per attempt in the air for navy versus 13.9 for notre dame that's really a difference there navy didn't throw the ball obviously very much um but that's one of the successes notre dame had was throwing the ball downfield um Navy averaged 4.4 rushing yards per attempt, which I am sure is well below their average, so it's very good on our defense there. And then Notre Dame averaged only 3.4. So again, the running game is struggling to get going, um, but that didn't matter because when you have a quarterback who can make plays and throw the ball downfield, it can overcome a run game, it can overcome defense. Uh, And lastly, the big key statistic here is just four turnovers for Navy, none for us. It killed the game early. Um, there was a lot of key plays where our defense stood up, and then it let us get on through. So that's pretty much it uh, for for the statistical recap. I'll let you get to your question. Yes, thank you very much. Um, so I I try to keep my finger on the pulse of everything, Andy. Uh, I've read into this, and I didn't find a single article that actually gave a valid explanation. It just said that it was happening. So um, for those not particularly aware, um, Notre Dame had sold out, I think, what, 273 consecutive home games. This is dating back quite some time. I'm, I'm thinking 70s or 80s, correct? 
Um, I think I, I want to say 60s, 70s. So pretty, pretty close. Yeah. So we've sold out every game since basically, let's just call it 1970. Um, and all of a sudden, in the midst of a on pace to be 10 and 2 season, a year off of a coming coming off of a playoff, you know, appearance where there's still something to play for, which is something we've talked about very inexplicably that is coming to an end. This is the first game since home game for Notre Dame since like 1970 that we did not sell out. Every article I read just said that it was happening. They didn't say it is happening because of X, Y, Z. So Dylan, can you please explain this to me as if I am a golden retriever? Because I don't understand it. <laughs> Golden Retriever. Um, it's something I don't really comprehend either. I mean, this is a, the second longest sellout streak in college sports. The only one longer is Nebraska. It's something that I think is just another staple of Notre Dame's mark on college football, right? We You look at the record books, you look at you know success. Notre Dame's usually owns all of them. Uh, and the record for sellouts is... is uh, not an exception. And it made no sense because this is technically a rivalry game. It's a ranked game. Navy's coming in uh, in the top 25 for the first time in decades. And they just apparently don't sell it out. That We don't know how... I don't know if it's official because there was rumors the day before that it's just not going to sell out. But, I mean, there could have been ticket sales right up until kickoff. So I don't know. It looked pretty full. Like, if you didn't tell me it wasn't full, I would have thought it was the same as every other game. Um, I, I, I'm i trying to wrap my head around it, too, because if you survive the 2007 season and the 2016 season, where Notre Dame is just pitiful, like losing records, if you survive that, I, I don't know why you wouldn't survive this. The thing, The only thing I saw on Twitter was someone saying that there's too many home games in November, and I guess maybe it's harder to sell out in the winter, in November, um, I'm guessing it must be based on pre-game ticket sales leading up to a certain date was just lower than other games. Uh, I, I don't understand why. I hope we get some clarification on it, but it's really sad to see because it's a it was a kind of a historical monument, really, for the program to have been so consecutively sold out. And also, the stadium's smaller. With the expansion, they actually dropped down the capacity about 3,000. So it doesn't make any sense. If you can sell out, you know, 80,000 plus in 2016 when the Irish are 4 and 8, how can you not sell out a 77,000 stadium when they're on the way to 10 and 2 against a ranked Navy? But that's the way it is. Yeah, and that just it, it doesn't make sense to me. Also, the statement that there's too many home games in November. Because a home game is a home game is a home game. It's like... You know, the New England Patriots, I live, grew up not far from there. They're in the AFC championship game every year. That's in January. And I obviously that's the to go to the Super Bowl. It's the playoffs. So obviously that's going to sell out. But like every November and December around here, every single Patriots game is selling out. And obviously they have they have sustained uh, success over that you know over the last two decades but like you know weather doesn't scare people away up here in new england weather doesn't scare people away in denver 
or Kansas City, you know, for the for the Chiefs or 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 uh, Broncos. So I'm just not seeing it. I'm not seeing how that would be the the difference maker. Now, admittedly, so <clears throat> if um, you know, it, it, in the event that I make it out to my first game, I'm probably going to be looking for you know a September or October. But that's also because I would want to spend the weekend in Chicago, and then when I you know for the Saturday that I did get down to Notre Dame. You know, hopefully it would be like a night game, and then I could play around a golf on the, uh, you know, course which is on campus. So like, there's some ulterior things that I would want there. But if we were playing hypothetically, if this wasn't Navy, let's say this was Stanford, like a couple of years in twenty, uh, a couple of years ago in 2012, I'm 90% certain that was one of the final games of the year when we went 12 and 0. I think it's an October game with Navy. I think the pick game might be what you're thinking of. The overtime was, pick game? I was thinking of the, the uh, goal line stand, Mante Teo, uh, against Stanford. I thought that was October, because the end of the year was USC. Okay, but yeah, it, regardless, if this was like a massive matchup, you know, with, uh, with a huge, you know, rival and, and top program... And I could afford to do it, and and I was in a position to it to do it. I I don't care if it's the week of Thanksgiving, I would go. And this is the largest, most popular program in in the the nation in the world. So I just I don't understand it. So that's what was kind of baffling to me. And I don't mean to harp on it. We've been on the topic for a couple of minutes here. I just I wanted to see if you had any insight onto it. I, I obviously wanted to throw out my opinion. Wanted to hear your opinion, just because you know this is something that was a major uh, you know story throughout the week. But I don't think there was enough clarification as to why. Um, so I mean, was there any closing thoughts that you had before we moved on to the next segment? It could be ticket prices. I mean, Notre Dame's notorious for having the most expensive ticket in college football, home and away. I mean, year after year, Notre Dame just buries the top 10 in, in, in most expensive games. That could be it. It could be people trying to, they're finally sick of it. But I'm I'm not really sure. It's 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 really upsetting to uh, to have seen that against a ranked Navy team. It's not like we're 4-6 and six playing a 4-6 and six I don't know, Alabama Tech. Like, I, I get it that that would be a game people don't want to go to, but this is this is Navy. Um, it's a rivalry game. It's a ranked team. Usually there's some great traditions at the end of it where they sing each other's alma mater. Like, there's there's a lot to see at a Navy game, and it, South Bend in early November wasn't nearly... It didn't look that bad. I mean, it still looked like fall, so... I don't, I don't get it. It's, it's, uh, it's upsetting, but hopefully, it's hopefully there's some facts come out about it, so we can get a little bit of peace. But yeah, very unfortunate. But uh, at this point, you know, we uh, we talked about the game. We did some uh, quick statistics. We had the conversation about that, and I think it's, uh, you know, time that we move on to the four horsemen. Um, you know, we, again, another week where we actually have four horsemen, which is always fun and always nice. And hopefully this is every single week, including our bowl game. So, uh, Dylan, let, uh, let us hear it. What, who, uh, were your four horsemen for this week? Well, I'll start from four to one. So our fourth horseman for me is Brendan Lindsay. 
a.k.a. Will Fuller Future. Um, he had two receptions for 87 yards, which, if you do the math, is 43 and a half yards per reception. Um, that just kind of shows you what kind of threat he is. Um, he had one touchdown, obviously, as well. Um, and he had one rush for 10 yards. So he's uh, really involved in the game. They're starting to use his speed more. I, I think they should have been using him more all year. Um, but he's a talent. We're going to see him for the next. Does he have? He's is he a true freshman? He is a true sophomore, but he he redshirted last year, so uh, redshirted freshman. So we'll have the same for two or three more years at least. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I thought he played really well. Third for two weeks in a row now. I'm saying defense as a whole. I can't pick anybody. They're they were all so good. Basically, my line of thinking here is they forced four turnovers. They allowed us to kill the game in the first half, uh, and they. Uh, they really held Navy a very good offense. We had previewed it last week where Navy was one of the top 25 teams um, in terms of offensive efficiency. So we, we held them there. That was really a big one. So just game game ball to them. Second horseman for me, Ian Book. Ian Book had a, a hell of a game. He uh, threw 70% of his completions, um, 284 yards, and you got to think he, he only played about two and a bit quarters so this is very impressive he averaged 14.2 yards per attempt throwing that's amazing again we've been harping on him to get the ball down the field um five touchdowns and his qbr score um his raw qbr score was 98.8 that is heisman level stuff that is exactly what we needed from him that's probably his best performance in at his time at notre dame um his Adjusted QBR is 98.7, so Navy is very much right on par with what ESPN thinks is an average defense, so the, the his raw score and his total score are very similar. So just overall, a very good, efficient game from Book. I thought he was um, had a lot of presence in the pocket. I thought he stood in there. He made throws. His downfield throws were very accurate. That's something last year he needed to work on. Um, and it helps when you have players like our first horseman, my compatriot, my cousin, we're going to get Tim Hortons later, <laughs> Chase Claypool, seven receptions, 117 yards, and four motherfucking touchdowns. What an animal. He is unbelievable. Uh, I just I can't say enough good things about him. It's uh, We had talked last week about the draft analyst, Dane Brugler, that we had talked to thinking he was a day three pick. The commentators at NBC were saying this guy might be a first-round pick because he is performing out of his mind. He's got a monster frame, right? He's like 6'5". He's well over 200 pounds. He runs well enough. I mean, we all thought Boykin was slow, and then Boykin turns out to have like a 4'4 speed. So I'm sure Claypool will do fine on the 40. Um, he, he moves well enough to create space. He runs really good routes. You can see that um, basically throughout the game, how many different types of routes he ran, seams, um, you know, um, slants, um, deep post, anything like that, he can run it. He is absolutely dominant with his hands. I mean, he catches just about everything. He's a, He makes circus catches. He makes clutch catches. Um, he's dominant in the air and at the point of the attack, right? You throw a jump ball to him, he is coming away with it. It reminds me a little bit of Des Bryant, um, where he could just go up, grab a ball, and then run for 700 yards after the catch because he is a yak He's a yak monster. You know, he just runs through it. So I have nothing but good things to say about Chase. I mean, he's repping our country so well. We don't really get many football players, so it's a big deal. 
Um, he's going to be an NFL player. He is our MVP of the season, hands down, and he is my first horseman. Shout out to Chase Claypool. All very valid. Yep, I mean, Chase is, is an absolute monster. He's obviously one of my four horsemen. Um, I, I honed in a little bit more specifically on the defense, so starting with my fourth, uh, I did have Khalid Kareem have a day, three tackles. I believe two of those were for loss, and those two tackles for loss were actually fumbles, uh, forced fumbles. Um, so he was, when he got into the backfield, when he broke through, um, you know, first and foremost, he was causing a lot of pressure and forcing them to pitch it out, right? So there was a lot of times where he was actually making a tackle of the quarterback, but, uh, you know, forced uh, forced him to pitch it to one of their wing backs um, and hopefully, which allowed for, you know, the closing speed of our corners and and outside linebackers to, uh, to, you know, tackle them and, you know, basically uh, completely shut their, their, offense down so yeah Khalid Kareem one hell of a game and hopefully he continues that um you know we knew he was a pass rusher this was a very dominant performance against the rush which uh, shows that he's a little bit more balanced I think than Julian Aquara Julian Aquara is more of a pure pass rusher but I mean both are incredibly talented guys Uh, next up would be my man pots and pans Drew White uh, 10 total tackles on the day, and then he also did have a fumble recovery on one of uh, uh, on one of Khalid Kareem's forced fumbles. So, you know, those guys were just both swarming today, and they deserve it. <clears throat> Claypool, obviously, the, the four touchdowns, I was a little upset he didn't go for nine, which is what I had predicted, uh, you know, tweeting out from our account. But everything that you said, I mean, that guy is just impeccable. He is just so damn good. Uh, and then <clears throat> coming in at number one, first horseman of the week, the quarterback. He was two for two of passing with 21 yards. <laughs> and he also had three rushes for three yards. Phil Jerkovich. <laughs> Um, no, uh, well, clearly it's, it's actually Ian. Um, I love you, Phil. Um, yeah, Ian played incredible and these are the games that we want to see from him. I would like for him to be able to make these pressing throws down the field, um, you know, against, you know, Georgia and Michigan and, and all those big time programs. And there's still time between now and the end of the year. And again, we do have, a big bowl game coming up <clears throat> and, and and let's hope he can do it in Palo Alto as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's exciting. And, and this is the, uh, he even, you know, stayed in the pocket again uh, on a few extended plays and, you know, reestablished himself and was looking downfield. And I think if he keeps doing that, I, he'll, he'll just find nothing but success. So yeah, that's, uh, that's my four horsemen of the week. Fair enough. I think uh, I'm glad you actually singled out some defensive players because I was way too lazy to do that. Um, so I have a question for you. Steve, what put juice in your nuts this week? Um, the answer would have been Chris Fink's touchdown, uh, you know, punt return for a touchdown. 
because that juiced me up a lot, uh, only for it to be called back by a block in the back that was suspect. I guess That's two could... weeks in a row, Fink's got a, a called back play that would have been your uh, your yeah. juice, eh? Exactly correct. Yep. Uh, but then, uh, you know, if if we were to uh, if I discount that and actually have to go with a valid play, it was the absolute howitzer that uh, Ian Book tossed over the top to Braden Lindsay, and you uh, obviously gave him a shout out and as one of your horsemen. Dude, he gallops down the field. He is so fast; it's incredible. So. Uh, between him, Chris Tyree, Jordan Johnson, uh, and, and a couple of other guys that we already have on campus developing, like we are going to have so many weapons, and this is so exciting for the future. So, uh, yeah, that was a 70-yard touchdown pass over the top, and God damn, is he fast. How about yourself? Yeah, um, so many to pick from. I went with the second Claypool touchdown, and I went back and watched it to give a little bit of a, a little bit of a scout breakdown. Um, first of all, it was like a forty-seven yard touchdown play. I, I was uh, doing quick math, looking at the the hashes on the field, but it was about you know it's almost from the fifty. It's a seam route that he runs. Um, the the man on him, they're playing zone, so the man on obviously doesn't run with him he uh he covers his own so the linebacker picks him up chase claypool just blows past the linebacker he's got lots of room on him lots of separation and then book makes a really good throw high in the air and uh almost a little in front of claypool so claypool makes an over the shoulder catch i mean again highlighting his ability to make just some ridiculous catches he's got great hands great ability to run route speed good enough to beat the linebacker and the safety is nowhere near Claypool. Claypool basically carries it for 15 yards into the end zone because of the the way the throw was and the way he caught it. The the safety couldn't beat him there. So to me, it just highlighted everything about what kind of professional prospect Claypool is. It was a fantastic throw. It just got me going. That kind of killed the game in terms of like any competitiveness. So it felt like game over. Um, and it just signaled that Claypool was going to have a monster day. I do have to give an honorable mention shout-out to our boy, Kyle Hamilton, on the fourth down defensive stop. I know this is one you unfortunately uh, missed, Steve, um, or you didn't quite get the Yeah, the I saw the play. I was uh, you know, in the bathroom really quickly, but it, the, from the corner, like I had a, a view of the TV, I was just further away, and I have to wear glasses because my eyes aren't that great. So I saw the stop itself. I knew it was fourth and one. I just, um, in the commotion, didn't see who tackled him. Um, but yeah, so but yeah, Hamilton on, the, on that play, holy shit! You know, he's he's the real deal, man. Yeah, it was it was really awesome because it was. You know, it was an important stop to get. Navy was successfully getting fourth down plays, and then they kind of run a more outside play. Like, usually Navy runs between the tackles or something along those lines. They really ran it way outside. And it kind of fooled, I think, a lot of the defensive line. But in came the safety Hamilton and just lit it up. He blew up the play for a loss um, and, and really just guttered Navy's um, uh, offensive spirit. So big shout-out to him. Mm-hmm. But I think that's pretty much it for Navy, given all this things, all, all things considered. Do you have anything else you want to say before we move on? One final quick shout-out, and uh, that is to uh, Paul Moala. So uh, Moala, um, he's actually re- grew up like right down the road from South Bend. 
Um, you know, he's he was a three star prospect. You know, he's between safety and rover, you know, with uh with the, just the the style of linebacker that we have. So he's uh you know, he's working his way up there. Um, I think he's getting, you know, kind of older on campus. I think he's he's uh, like a junior or, you know, sophomore or junior. But for him to, you know, obviously get some time as, as the backups came in and just picked a pitch, an option pitch right out of the air and returned it for a touchdown. So that was a great moment for him. And obviously, you know, we want to – give him uh, his due recognition because when a guy comes on the field as a backup and makes a, a huge play, even when you are playing backups, Hey, you d- you deserve a shout out. So that's my final thoughts as we, uh, you know, head into some of the few final few segments here. Yeah, it was really good for him. Uh, also, Phil's got to get in there earlier. You know, Kelly's got to do a better job of that. Um, but overall, you know, we got the backup some time, good Notre Dame home win and we're moving on. So we're, we're going to do our Week 13 game predictions uh, around college football. Last week, Steve and I both went 3-2. and two. Um, Minnesota lost for both of us, and then you had Baylor, who lost, and I had Cal. So we're, uh, we're hanging pretty close. I think we're pretty even for throughout most of the year. So what we're going to do is we're going to um, – I'm going to list the games. We're going to pick the winner. But we're also going to guess the line like we did a few weeks ago. Because we're recording Sunday, the game lines aren't out there. So it's kind of an extra fun thing to see. Basically, where's value as a better um, – wherever you think the line should be is a good instinct towards – whether or not you should bet the actual line. So um, we're going to uh, to do that. You guys can play along um, and tweet us out your predictions. We, we'd love to hear them. So game one is college game day. It's the big one. The Big Ten is such a shit conference that all their big games are played at noon. It happens all the time. I mean, Ohio State, Michigan will be at noon. Michigan, Michigan State was at noon. Um, that's because they are not a primetime conference. So Let's go down to Columbus, where the Penn State Nittany Lions are going to take on the Ohio State Buckeyes. Steve, who are you predicting, and what do you think the game line's going to be? Um, I hate them so much. I hate both programs so much. Legitimately, I, there's, I don't think there's any redeeming qualities about either program, but that's not the right segment. I just wanted to let it be known. Um gonna have to go with Ohio State and I don't want to I I want Penn State to win this game because I do want pandemonium um but yeah so this is this is going to be Ohio State the line is probably going to be 13 and a half and they'll probably win by like 24 wow um that's really close I agree with you I think Ohio State's going to just steamroll Penn State I think Penn State is a good team I don't think Penn State is Ohio State. I think they could win if it was in Happy Valley because that place seems to have an effect on opposing teams. Mm-hmm. But I really think it's going to be in Columbus. Ohio State is just a tank this year. And I was predicting Ohio State by 14 is going to be the line. So we're really um, in line there with uh, what we think the favorite's going to be. Do you have anything else you want to say before we jump on? Um, maybe. Penn State is able to get in their heads because um, five-star defensive end prospect. I think he was like legitimately a top ten prospect one, possibly two years ago. Micah Parsons, uh, defensive end for Penn State. Uh, he went to high school with Justin Fields. They were boys. Justin Fields originally 
committed to Penn State. He decommitted. He went down to Georgia, spent one year there, and then that's where he transferred this past year over back to Ohio State. And then he got a waiver exemption. He didn't have to uh, wait and you know, sit out a year, unlike the kid from Virginia Tech who tried moving home because his mom has brain cancer. And the NCAA is a piece of shit, fucking slavery type program, uh, you know, institution, and I despise it. And everyone should know how terrible they are. That's we're, we don't want to get out ahead of our skis, though. Bottom line is, um, yeah, so maybe Parsons can, can chirp uh, Fields and, and get in his head. I mean, he's one hell of a talented defensive end. Um, so maybe they can get Fields off his game, but I just, I don't see, you know, with this, I, is Chase Young going to be back for this game? I, don't, I actually don't think he is. I thought he was going to be, but maybe not. I thought um, he was uh, his four games was reduced down to two, so that would mean last week and this week. Right. So, um, yeah, I just even still, I just don't see how Penn State's going to offensively match uh, Ohio State. So that's why I have such a large large spread there. Yeah, I think it should also be mentioned that this game, there's a lot on the line in this game. I forget, but Penn State only has one loss to uh, to Minnesota on the road. So Penn State still has a a path to the college football playoff and a path to the Big Ten championship game still to play for. So there is a lot at stake here. Um, if Penn State were to win, that would cause pandemonium in terms of um, the playoff outlook. Alabama could maybe start looking at a inside shot, although they don't deserve one, and they probably won't finish the season undefeated with, obviously, the horrific Tua injury. Um, but let's see. Yeah, let's move on. I uh, don't want to dwell too much on Alabama. Um, but again, of course, thoughts go out to uh, Tua and his family. It's unfortunate. But uh, let's go down to Texas, where the Longhorns will take on the Baylor Golden Bears. What do you think the line is, and who's going to win? Uh, Baylor was very impressive against Oklahoma. Uh, they obviously did blow a 28 to three lead, which is ridiculous. Um, (laughs) but Baylor at home, I think you got to go with them on this one. Uh, Texas is what? Six and four now. Um, they, I, I want Texas to be back. I want them to be a 10 win program, but Damn, man, they're just they're just not there yet. And perhaps next year, I know a couple years ago when we played them, they had like legitimately like 40 freshmen. <laughs> um, so they they were young. They're still developing. They're still rebounding. But I think this is going to be Baylor. They're probably going to get 11 and a half at home. Good job. Um I agree with you. I think Baylor's going to win. Baylor obviously looked really good against Oklahoma before that monumental comeback. Um, But Texas hasn't been good this year. They did cover the spread for me last week. Um, But I think Baylor should win. I think they are probably a better team. They have a really good coach in Matt Rule. I have the line as Baylor 7.5, but I think uh, we're pretty much in agreement there that it's going to be at least a a one-score line. Um, So next we have... Um, seven and three Pittsburgh Panthers going to seven and three Virginia Tech Hokies. So, for, both are getting votes currently uh, from you know the the AP. They're both on the outside looking in, but they're within the top thirty teams of the nation. So, I think the winner of this game 
is going to be ranked in the top 25. Um, although Virginia Tech is at home, they will be favored, I would say, by five and a half points. But I I think this is one of those games where you just you're going to have a pesky pit team uh, that they always seem to to take one team out a year that they should lose to. Um, so I guess you could call this an upset. So I'll take road underdogs pit. Um, they'll be underdogs by about five and a half, and I think they'll they'll win and cover obviously. Yeah, I just have to write these down while we're going, so if there's moments of silence, that's why. Um, that's good. Uh, that's an upset. You think that's going to be five and a half for Virginia Tech? Um, I have the line Virginia Tech four and a half, so we're, we're pretty uh, spot on so far. I think Virginia Tech is going to win at home. I think both teams are good, but this is basically a toss-up for me. Um, I think the home field advantage could, could be it, but... I think anything could happen. It's an ACC game. There's still a lot to play for for both of those teams as well with a potential Orange Bowl bid, as we've discussed last week. So we'll move on now to the South, where Texas A&M is going to Georgia. Um, what, what's Texas A&M, 6-4? I think, yeah, something they're, like that. They're but... usually in that neighborhood, 7-3, three, 6-4. They uh, are still not built for the sec i think they can get there in time i mean their stadium is ridiculous they have good coaching staff a coward defensive coordinator but that's neither here nor there um yeah i mean i i think obviously george is going to win this game uh, and pretty much lock up the sec east and they already have the oh they already have All right. yeah it's done Perfect. Um, well, you know, they'll, they'll continue their march toward the playoffs. So Georgia will win just a matter of if they cover or not. And as for my prediction of a line, I would say this will be, I'll go with nine and a half. Although I think that Georgia probably wins by about 17. Interesting. Um, I have Georgia too. Obviously I think the Bulldogs are a very solid team. I think they, are going to pretty much waltz their way into the uh, the SEC title game, when, and that would be an interesting scenario if they were to win. Would both SEC teams still get in? Um, but I have the line, uh, Georgia minus 15, and maybe I'm just pessimistic on Texas A&M, but UGA kind of blew out um, whoever they played last week. Was it Mizzou? Um, they had a good team last week that they they blew out at home. So I, I think Georgia will probably be, I got four, 15 point favorites. Um, that'll be our one big discrepancy. But we both have Georgia winning and I don't think it's a surprise to anybody. Um, so lastly, and I had to struggle to pick a fifth game. We got the five and five Tennessee Volunteers at the five and five Mizzou Tigers, I think. Yes. What do you got there? <laughs> the toilet bowl. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, it's good to see Tennessee with five wins. Uh, let's hope that they get to a sixth. I don't know. Kelly Bryant's still a talented quarterback, but um, not good enough to be uber successful in the SEC. That's a tough game. Uh, going with Mizzou at home, I would anticipate that they're going to be four and a half point favorites. I think this will be very tight. We're probably looking at a final possession type of game. I'm going to go with the home team here um, with Mizzou. 
they started off pretty hot this year. They cooled down, and perhaps they uh, they finished strong. So I, I just don't see anything that's indicating Tennessee being remotely back into uh, prominence or relevance. So that's why I'll go with Mizzou here. Yeah, I agree too. I have Mizzou, and I think the line will be six and a half. I think they'll be almost a touchdown favorite. Um, I think they're just a better team than Tennessee. Tennessee is pretty terrible. I mean, Tennessee is Tennessee. Um, so that that wraps up week thirteen game predictions. Um, feel free to to tweet us your your guys' uh, thoughts. Um, but let's move into a quick little who do you hate more? And I have one for you. I feel like we've discussed these teams before, but I don't know if we've pitted them against each other. Maybe we have. But Steve, who do you hate more? The Florida State Seminoles or the Miami Hurricanes? Definitely Florida State. I fucking hate Florida State. Um, Miami is one of those fun programs where if they're they are relevant, I mean, that whole city gets buzzing and um, you know, prime time, flashy lights, you know, South Beach, the whole nine. It's a fun program. They are scumbags, a lot of them. Um, uh, you know, as we see through obviously the Catholics versus convicts game. Um, but I, they, I just, I will always go back and just think about that 2001 Hurricanes team. You want to talk about a team, a college team that legitimately could have beaten an NFL team? <laughs> I mean, holy shit. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have no qualms at all with, uh, with the U. I think they're, uh, they're fun to watch and I hope they're relevant. Um, but yeah, as for Florida state, I don't see a single redeeming quality. I hate that program. I hate it. Yeah, I, I agree. I like Miami and I hate Florida state. So very simple there. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So I'm going to offer up two teams here that are f- for all intents and purposes, totally and completely irrelevant to Notre Dame. Uh, it's actually just going to be, we're we're doing Maction. So this is who do you hate more, Maction edition. Uh, who do you hate more, Dylan? The University of, or I'm sorry, uh, Northern Illinois University Huskies, or the Miami of Ohio University um, Red Hawks? I think something like that. <laughs> Who do you hate more, University of Miami of Ohio or Northern Illinois? Um, I don't know anything about Northern Illinois. <laughs> I don't think people in Illinois know anything about Northern Illinois. Um, I know what was it? Chuck Long went to Miami. One of our old coordinators went to Miami of Ohio. Um, so I kind of hope they do well once they leave. But um, I'm going to say I hate Miami of Ohio more because why the fuck do I have to say Miami of Ohio? And on the flip side of that, it makes everybody, in terms of their abbreviations, write Miami bracket FL as if we didn't know which team was going to play Florida State that week. You know, clearly it's not Miami of Ohio. So I'm going to say I hate Miami of Ohio because, one, it's a stupid saying, just a a combination of words that I hate. Two, why is there a Miami in Ohio? And three, you're confusing everybody. There is one Miami. You guys should just be called M Ohio. How about that? You guys are the M of Ohio. <laughs> That's my rationale there. Um, very tough one. I kind of like Huskies as a team name, so that's that's my pick. 
I'm right there with you. And and honestly, just goes to show that I knew that you were going to say that because um, I, I knew the name was going to piss you off. So that's why I picked them. Uh, and it, fun fact here, uh, it is not there is not a Miami located in the state of Ohio, not a city at least. They Miami of Ohio University, or rather Miami University in Ohio, to be more specific, is located in the city of Oxford. So there's they just named it Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. So what the fuck? <laughs> like that is so annoying. And um, I'm guessing it's the, the, maybe the quality of those two schools, Oxford and Miami. They thought, you know, can we call ourselves Oxford? No. What are we equivalent to? Miami. That's that's who. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how they came up with that. But none, nevertheless, um, you know, I, I am a Steelers fan. Ben Roethlisberger went to Miami. But I would go with NIU in this one just because you have no business naming yourself Miami University. It just makes no sense. So I hate you and good riddance. Yeah, burn them down. I thought it was named after a city. So, <laughs> so unless you have anything else to say, I suggest we move on to um, our preview for this week, the Boston College Eagles. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know too much about them. I know A.J. Dillon is uh, a hell of a running back. Uh, they're obviously their sing- single back type of offense. They're going to probably run him 25 to 30 times in an ideal game for them if they could. Um, you know, our defense is coming off of one hell of a performance against the run, all- although be it, you know, wishbone triple option. So it's a little bit fundamentally different. But if uh, if our defensive line and our front seven – I mean, our linebackers are all playing fantastic. They swarm. Aloe Gilman has plenty of freedom to just run around and hit people. And um, I don't see us losing this game. It would be preposterous to lose this game. Although I really wouldn't doubt if we struggled against them. Just historically speaking, we have. Uh, I, I don't really like Boston College. I live and work in Boston. It's far enough away from me that I never really interact with anyone from there. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much all I got. I mean, I, I fully expect to win. There's, I just think that I they are probably not going to have if, – if we were are able to get a remotely sustainable lead – I don't think they have the offensive weapons necessary to, uh, you know, to put yards and, and um, essentially points on us. So that's why I'm predicting that this, in theory, in theory, should be a relatively walkaway victory for the Fighting Irish. Yeah, Boston College is a program I have no idea how to feel about because, you know, the city, the American city I identify most with is Boston. And I'm a Red Sox fan, I'm a Celtics fan. So I kind of like Boston College in that sense. I mean, they have that Golden Dome, which I don't know if that was made first or second after the Notre Dame one. Uh, it's, you know, it's a Northeastern University. It's a good school. But holy hell have they given Notre Dame trouble over the years. I mean, how many times have we been on the brink of a, a national championship, you know, 93 in particular, where Boston College will upset us, you know? So... I got the uh, the serious facts here. It, well, one, it's called the Holy War because I think both schools. Well, Notre Dame's a Catholic school, and I don't know if Boston College is a Catholic school or there's just a lot of Catholics in Boston. Not overtly, but yeah, it's uh, Boston is primarily Boston Irish Catholic. 
Right. So the Holy Wars, I actually hate that because there is a Holy War in, in college football, Utah and um, Brigham Young, which I think calling this the Holy Wars is a little disrespectful to that actual Holy War. Um, but I think overall, um, they've given us a lot of shit over the years. The, we lead the series 15 to 9, which is absurdly close given the stature of both of these programs i mean notre dame is the greatest program in college football history and boston college is nothing so the fact that it's you know within six games is a little scary um we play for two trophies the ireland trophy which is a beautiful trophy um it's a little shamrock and whatever on it we'll never see it because notre dame never likes to celebrate their trophies and then they also play for the frank Leahy memorial bowl i don't know if that's a physical trophy, or that's just what they've dubbed the game. I think it is a bowl, because Frank Leahy, probably the greatest college football coach of all time until Nick Saban came around, um, coached initially at Boston College. So it's a 2.30 kickoff. Boston College is 5-5. Five and five. I don't know if I should hate them or if I should like them. I know a lot of Notre Dame fans hate them, rightfully so. Um, but this should be a game that we dominate. I mean, there's a lot of Twitter stats going out there that Boston College gives up a lot of yards and points like a lot compared to some other teams. So that's one where we should kind of find our groove offensively. It is in South Bend. It's not at Chestnut Hill, so it should be a, a huge advantage there. Basically, quick statistical breakdown, offensive efficiency measured by ESPN. It's a great, uh, it's the stats we like to use because it's a little more tighter than some box score stats. For example, Navy's box store score stats defensively looked fantastic. But you have to consider, well, they have the ball the whole game and they're playing AAC teams. So this stat kind of takes a lot more of um, those things into account. So ESPN's offensive efficiency, Notre Dame is 27th in college football. Boston College is 26th. That's a little confusing. I didn't expect that. But nonetheless, this is um, like Navy was positioned, uh, a very similarly matched offense. Defensively, Notre Dame is 7th in the country. Boston College is 97th. You heard me, 97th. Oh this should be a game where we kind of have our will with them. Um, and then overall, Notre Dame is 13th in efficiency, Boston College 60th. And when you compare that with the SP plus stats, which is our advanced stats, um, you have Notre Dame 19th in the country and Boston College 64th. So it matches up pretty well with ESPN. Um, and basically what we're seeing there is Notre Dame's got a huge advantage, um, offense versus defense. And our defense should be able to hold at home. They got to stop, obviously, as you said, the running back there. I think they should. They should be able to account for him. And um, that's just kind of it. Boston College does give us shit, so there's a, there's a, you have to keep that in mind when you're predicting this game, that this is a historically tight game. It is a rivalry game. Um, it's a rivalry game. I think we started playing more, I think, in the Lou Holtz era. Um, but it is a game nonetheless. We used to play them every year. Now we play them every other year, basically, when the ACC rotates them. And uh, that's it for me. So do you have anything you want to say on the game? Um, off the top, just based on all the statistics and everything, uh, 37-17 Irish. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. I'm going to say 45-17 Irish. I think we should be able to inflict our will offensively, but I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if this turns into a, a heart, heart attack game where we all die of a stroke because yeah. Notre Dame is Notre Dame. But yeah. game we should win. Um, and I, I think that's it. Do you have anything else you want to say before we uh, sign off? No. Um, no, we pretty much covered everything. Uh, you know, again, just uh, something that we quickly touched on 
on last week's episode as we're trying to keep these a little bit shorter. Just given one, I'm incredibly busy and Dylan is incredibly busy. He's in law school. I, you know, have uh, other prior you know, other things that I need to uh, take care of in, in my life as well. Uh, but and also we're we're kind of reaching a point of the season where we don't have any big marquee opponents until the bowl game. Um, and we're kind of just buzzing through the schedule as it stands right now. So there's uh, as we need to, we're we're obviously gonna hop on for an hour long cast, but uh, I think um, I think we covered everything today and and obviously, so grateful for everyone. Share, retweet, the whole nine. Uh, rate five stars, review. Any feedback whatsoever, shoot us a DM. Uh, re- you know, reply to one of our tweets or anything like that. You know, we uh, nothing but uh, but appreciation on our end uh, to know that our our hard work and dedication to this craft uh, is is listened to by by each of you. So thank you so much. Yeah, and I would just say to incentivize you guys to share our podcast. Um, if we see that you're, you know, out there responding to us, retweeting us, um, anything along those lines, giving us a shout out, um, we'd be much more inclined to have you on the show. Obviously, we have guests. We're particular with who we have on just because we don't have a lot of time and we don't want to um, miss out on our, our routine that we got going for us. We obviously want to bring people in, but not every week. So we are considering having more guests uh, as the season goes on, especially once we get from the last game to the bowl game. So if you're interested in that, you know, this is a little incentive. Um, we've had guests on the show and we, we love to have them. So, you know, share our content, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, subscribe, um, and, and that along the line. So you can follow us at Horseman Pod on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, Steve is Steve Campy at on Twitter. And mm-hmm. I'm at DillyDilly97. Come join us. Come talk to us. We love to interact with Notre Dame fans. That's what this is all about. And I think that's about it, Steve. Well, you covered everything, and I think all the thoughts are out there. So uh, one, one last time, thanks so much for everything, and, uh, and, and go Irish. Go Irish. Beat Eagles. <laughs>